It's about to go down with Mark and Kathy, a live coaching show about dropping ideas. Mark and Kathy coach and have conversations with brilliant idea creators who are reimagining the world through the expression of their words, thoughts, and actions. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of It's About to Go Down. I am Mark Williams. And I am Kathy Armia. Super excited today. We have Trish Karen with us. She hails all the way from Melbourne, Australia. And she, yes, look at that. She has a new book that she's that we're going to talk about. And it's kind of the basis for the idea that we're going to explore today. And it's called The Platypus principles. And uh, Trish is a mechanical engineer, and she works in the in the area of process safety. And so all of that is super exciting. And I cannot wait to talk about the platypus principle. So Trish, welcome to our show. And tell us a little bit about your book and about your ideas. And, and uh, yeah. Thanks, Kathy. Hi, Mark. Great to be here today. So the idea of, of the platypus uh, philosophy is all around how we actually prevent incidents happening in the future. So one of the things that we see a lot in my field of, of expertise is that big incidents happen and then we do this big investigation and we find all these warning signs that the incident was going to happen, but we missed them at the start. We just didn't see them at the time. And then sometimes we even say, oh, well, that was a black swan event, you know, completely unpredictable. We couldn't have possibly predicted that was going to happen. But the fact is we actually could predict it was going to happen because fundamentally we know that these things do occur. So it's not right to call them black swans. We need to figure out something else to deal with them. That's where I came up with the platypus philosophy to actually really dig in and understand what are the weak signals, the things that you're not quite sure even if you saw it occur. It might have been just a false alarm go off somewhere or sometimes it's just that gut feel that you get of, a, oh, there's something not quite right here. And if we ignore that, it might end up being an incident one day. But if we learn how to see what they are and dig into them and understand them more, then we actually can manage them and prevent them becoming an incident. So I looked at how we could actually manage them, what we need to be doing to get better at this. And the idea of the platypus came to me in a couple of different ways. So for those of you that are not familiar, this is a platypus. A platypus is an absolutely gorgeous Australian animal. It's what we call a monotreme. So it's actually a mammal, but it lays eggs. So there's only five monotremes in the world and all of them are in Australia, one platypus and four species of echidnas. And so these are mammals that actually lay eggs. So that makes them really weird. But there's a whole lot of other weird things about a platypus as well. So first of all, it has the beak, the bill of a duck. It has the tail of a beaver. It has the claws of an otter. And as well as being a mammal, it also has a toxin associated with it. So it can actually sting you as well. And that makes it really unusual in the animal world because mammals typically don't have toxins. Mammals certainly typically don't lay eggs, but this one does. And so you can often mistake a platypus for something else. If you only see its bill, you might think it's a duck. If you only see its tail, you might think it's a beaver. Until you find the whole platypus, you're not sure you've got a platypus. 
and we need to find them so we can actually manage them. And that's fundamentally the principle of, of the platypus philosophy of what we're trying to do. And so it's a, a process to understand and find the platypuses in your, your world, whether it's your personal life, whether it's your business, whether it's your facility, your operating plant, and manage your platypuses. Hmm. Wow. I, I feel like I just got an education on platypuses, like in like <laughs> two minutes, like really fast. Yes. <laughs> I just thought it was a cute animal, Trish. I was like, they're really cute, but they can sting. Mm-hmm. That sounds, that sounds, yeah, that's, you know what I love about this? So Mark, um, you know, I'm, you know, you always call me the queen of concepts. I think that people really can digest information best Trish when it's in a concept. And so I love this as a concept because if you just were to tell people in kind of an, an informative way, oh yeah, you know, we got, we got to figure out, we got to figure out what could go wrong before it goes wrong. Eh, it doesn't, it doesn't sound, it, it doesn't like hit the brain the same way as if you say, no, it's like a platypus. We got to be able to recognize it. So I, I don't know, Mark, I love this as a concept right out of the gate. I really love it. All right. So first of all, I'm, 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 I have to say this because my good friend Scott is going to watch this. And in college, he called himself DJ Platypus. And he would always walk around and go, Platypus. <laughs> <laughs> it was like his call. <laughs> yeah, that was his Platypus. call. Um, so he's going to love this. I Yes, I agree. You, you, you've already got a, a, a catchy concept. I love the way that you explained it. I even love the way that you said, if you don't see, if you only see one part of the platypus, mm. you might not really figure out that what you're seeing is a platypus. And, and, and I love the fact that this has come from your work in mechanical engineering and process safety. And as you were speaking and, and, and explaining this whole concept, what kept going through my head is, this sounds like it could be applied way beyond the world of mechanical engineering and process safety and in the everyday life of every single person. I mean, we've all got things that have gone wrong and wish that we could see it. And I'm curious, Tris, when you said you've come up with a way to learn how to see these, these predictors, what is that way? Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's a way to to try and identify what's going on. So I talked about this idea of weak signals at the start. So these are the little things that happen that you don't quite notice or you might notice, but then you just dismiss it. So the idea is, and, and I actually use the acronym of, of platypus to remember all the steps as well, because I love a concept as well. My brain works in concepts and they're easy, easy things to remember. So the first P is that you actually have a partial sighting of a platypus. You've partially noticed something. So you have to actually notice it and, and record it and report it that you've had the partial um, platypus sighting. Then what you need to do is start to look at the data that you've got and link it together. So what else is happening with the other data that's going on around you? What are the other signals that you're seeing? That's your L. Then we get to the A. That's where you analyze the data because a weak signal is basically uncontext data. So stuff that you can't quite make sense of until you look at it a different way. So you have to analyze the data of understand what's going on with that particular information. 
Then we get to the T, the task and timing. What, what other tasks were going on at the time? And you start to analyse some of that detail. What time of the day or night does this weak signal appear? Does it always appear at a particular time of the day or at a particular time of a cycle of something occurring? That will start to indicate where you need to dig in a little bit further. Then we get to the why, yesterday and yonder. Has this happened before? Have you seen this signal before? Have you seen this signal somewhere else? somewhere yonder, elsewhere that it, it may have occurred. Then you need to actually perceive what these scenarios could be when you start to put all this information together. Perceive what the scenario could actually be that we could be getting to. Then you get to the point of understanding what those consequences are and, and what the controls are that you can put in place. So once you've got the what the consequence is, then you can start to put your controls in place. And lastly, you need to secure and manage the platypus. So you need to identify where it's going to crop up next and how you're going to deal with it, knowing that there's always going to be a platypus lurking around somewhere. You've just got to be able to find them so that you can manage them. We don't want to eradicate them because they actually can have some good benefits as well. And not all of them are toxic. It's only the males that are actually toxic. The females can't hurt you. Only the males can. So that's just a, another little factoid about platypuses. Um, but, um, yeah, so it's it's that idea of just following through the letters of the platypus to remember each stage so that you can focus in on the information you've got and seek out the additional information you need to eventually come up with a management strategy of what you're going to do with that particular platypus, being able to predict when it's going to turn up and being able to identify how you're going to handle it when it does. Hmm. All right, Trish, here's, here's my follow-up. I hear that the partial sighting, that first steps you have to notice yeah why do we struggle with noticing things hmm. that's a really good question mark and there's a whole science um, behind that in terms of understanding the different cognitive biases that occur so i think there's currently 188 different cognitive biases identified there's a whole series of them that apply to why we don't notice things. So it could be, um, for example, anchoring bias. So that's where we tend to stick to the first piece of information we receive and dismiss everything else because we're stuck on this first anchor piece of information. Mm -hmm. So from the, the identifying, seeing the platypus perspective, that might be things like uh, looking at, you know, we, we, the last time I saw the bill, it was a duck. It wasn't a platypus. So there's no platypuses here. I only have ducks. So, you know, you, you dismiss something. Uh, another classic bias that has a big impact in this area is confirmation bias. So you only look for the information that confirms what you already believe. Mm. Another one is the curse of knowledge. Uh, we, we fail to recognise that other people don't know what we know. So we assume mm -hmm. they know and we don't create that shared learning, that shared context with people to see different different things and help them see different things as well. So there's quite a few different um, biases that actually impact our ability to see uh, a platypus in, in, in our, our facility, in our life, in our work around us. So we need to try and understand what they are. In, the, in my book that I've written, The Platypus Philosophy, there's a whole section on here are the most common biases that are going to prevent you from seeing the platypus. And here's some ways to reframe your thinking so you're more open to seeing it when it occurs. Hmm. 
Wow. Trish, I really love that. Oh, you were talking and I was like, oh, my heart. I love psychology. So she started saying things that I love, like I love, I, I, I very much study. Like when you said the curse of knowledge, I was like, oh, so many of us are cursed with our own knowledge. We can't understand how other people could see the same information. And wow, you really hit it. I really love this because you are getting to the heart and, and Mark, that was such a great question, but that you are getting to the heart of why somebody would not be able to notice something or that they would dismiss it. You know, there's probably one that's in there, like a survival bias as well too. Like we, we see something, we know that something bad could happen and we're like, Oh, that, that will happen to everybody else. It's not going to happen to me kind of thing, you know? So I love that you have that as part of your book. It sounds like too, do you, have you been, have you been speaking on this topic yet? I know you wrote the book, but have you been talking on it yet? No, not yet. Um, okay. This is literally hot off the presses. Uh, nice. So nice. I will be doing some more speaking on it in the coming months. Um, so I have a I have a regular podcast and a webinar with a, a trade journal in the US, and I'll actually be doing the platypus philosophy on that in the coming months as well. So certainly trying to get that message out there and, and talk to people about you know, why I think this is important. And I do really think this is an important next step because we're not learning from our past incidents. If we were, we wouldn't still have them. So there's something missing in the way we're currently doing something. We need to do something different here. And I love yeah. I love the art of storytelling. I love creating interesting ways for people to, to learn something they need to learn. In fact, that's another one of the biases is um, the bizarreness effect, which is mm. all about, you know, we create something memorable by doing something strange or bizarre. People are more likely to remember it. So that's also one of the reasons why I just love the platypus because it seriously is the weirdest animal on earth. <laughs> I actually did not know how weird it was, Trish. <laughs> <laughs> when when it was first discovered in Australia, they sent a, a specimen back to the UK in the uh, the 1700s, and they thought it was a taxidermy hoax. They thought someone had sewn different parts of an animal together, and they actually dissected it looking for the stitch marks, oh, because wow. no one believed oh. this animal could possibly exist. It's that weird. It's proof that even the unlikely can happen. Hmm. Ooh. I love I that like line. That. I love that line too. I was like, it's proof that even the unlikely can happen. Yeah. So I'm okay. Why don't we do this? This would be fun then uh, because I feel honored, Mark. We're like the first, this is hot off the press. This is the first time she's talking about it. Like I'm feeling awesome about this. It. Um, wait, say that line one more time. It's proof that what? One more time. The platypus is, is proof that even that, the unlikely is possible. Oh, that even the unlikely is possible. Um. Yeah. I think this would be fun. Like, it, I think it would be fun to maybe hack together kind of the, a talk, right? Let's say it was a Ted talk, like that we're going to mm -hmm. hack this together. Like what would be a good opening? How would you close? Like, what would you put into this talk? And so Trish, we'll ask you first because you're closest to the knowledge, but it'd be kind of fun to kind of pick that apart a little bit and go, Hey, you're going to give this, you know, maybe you're going to give a keynote, uh, you know, next week or something on this, like, what would you use to open it? Because you have a lot of meat, obviously, and you know that content. It would be interesting to kind of mess around and see like, like how we could get some storytelling around it. Yeah, so what I'm kind of thinking is like the opening is because people 
are now more familiar with the idea of the black swan that people talk about. You know, oh, we couldn't predict it. That was the black swan. We couldn't have predicted that was going to happen. And that's actually another um, story from the the colonisation of Australia, the discovery of black swans and the idea that nobody thought black swans existed because no one had ever seen a black swan because the uh, Western civilization hadn't been to Australia. But Australia only has black swans. We don't have white swans. So to us, a white swan would be strange. So mm. people understand the idea, I think, of the black swan, but but there's stories about, about the black swan. And I think, you know, paying certain um, tribute to Australia's um, First Nations people is an important part about it because they actually understood the uniqueness of the platypus and they understood the black swan and the fact that swans could have actually been white, but they have a, a, a creation story of how the black swan got its black feathers, for example. And so I think there's some really powerful, interesting storytelling to open it up around, you know, I want to talk about black swans and why black swans don't apply to, uh, you know, large scale incidents. Catastrophic incidents are not about black swans. They're actually about the platypus. And now I want to talk to you about the platypus. There's also mm. a really cool creation story from the uh, the First Nations people about the platypus as well. Well, there's a couple of them because of uh, depending on what part of the country you're in, but but they also have some really amazing creation stories as well. Hold on. You know we love a good story, right, Kathy? We love yeah. a good story. And first of all, Trish, I got to tell you, I am so Brooklyn. I am so Brooklyn. <laughs> That when you said the black swan and everybody knows the black swan story, I'm like, I know the pigeon story. Uh, I yeah. don't know if I know the yeah. black swan story. <laughs> but here's a story that I'm wondering about. When have you, Trish, mm. had the experience of not noticing something? Mm. Mm -hmm. mm. Uh, many times many times in life because it's actually a human condition that we no longer notice certain things that occur um, either because we've just seen them so often and then we you get this slight change you know the change creeps in on you and you miss that the change has occurred but um, you know very early in my career I was involved in in an incident uh, and it was there was a, a particular fault in an assembly of some equipment that I didn't notice at the time. And then an incident occurred and we had a spill of, of um, flammable product and we tried to stop it. And again, because I didn't notice the issue at the first instance, it, it amplified the incident when we then tried to stop it. And so we ended up in a situation with an uncontrolled leak occurring around us. Uh, as a very young graduate engineer, it was pretty scary. Um, but, you know, you, you kick into response mode and you deal with the issue and you solve the problem and you get there. But it was because I didn't notice the platypus was there, I missed it. I missed a whole lot of different things. And other people missed it too. It wasn't only me that, that missed it. But, but you know, it was my work site. I was, in, I was responsible for it. Ultimately, I missed that signal. And, you know, sometimes things can go wrong. Sometimes the signals are little things that we miss or that, as I say, they creep up over time. So, you know, an example I like to use of, of when you recognise that um, a weak signal has occurred and there's been a creeping change is when you're driving your car and 
over time, you start to wear down your tyres. But you don't necessarily notice it for quite a period of time until all of a sudden your tyres noticeably change in the way they handle. So for me, when I reverse out of my driveway, I have a very low car, so there's not a lot of ground clearance. When I reverse out of my driveway, I notice when my tyres are starting to um, wear because the nose of my car touches the edge of the curb as I back out. Hmm. Because when the right amount of treads on my tyres, I don't touch the curb. Mm-hmm. When I know that my tyres need changing, I actually start to rub the nose of the car on the curb. And so that's one of those little weak signals that you might just dismiss it and go, oh, I don't need to worry about it. But actually, my tyres need changing now because I've just worn through those few millimetres of tread. And I'm only at just a few millimetres difference here. It's not a you know, fraction of an inch, sorry. Um, it's just a fraction of an inch different. It's not that big a, a difference in your tyres, but it's enough that, you know, I now need to replace the tyres because of the treads worn down. Hmm. Wow. I love that. Not everybody Not everybody has that mechanism in their driveway, by the way. <laughs> no, that's true. But there'll be other sorts of things. You know, when you're, when you're cornering, when you turn the steering wheel to hard lock, yeah. your tyres actually react a little bit different on the road when you start to realise that you've got that. So that's just one, one example of, of these little weak signals that we have in everyday life. Um, that we just don't necessarily notice. All right, oh, Kathy. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to ask you, when when did you not notice a weak signal? Yeah, I, actually, I was just going to tell you one. Mark, I thought it was a brilliant question because I think what Trish just said too, you and I were on the same wavelength because I was thinking I wouldn't start with the black swan. I would start with the story. And that story that you just talked about, Trish, that's a great Ooh. opening story, <laughs> especially with you being a student like that. It just brings it back to a time where, yeah, I I love the story and I could see pulling out different details and talking. I think it would be a great story. And then go into the black, you know, go into the black swan fallacy, basically. Um, here's a time. My husband just bought a new car and I have... I have my car like handles really nice. It's really quiet inside. It's great. Um, it can stop on a dime. And I got into his car and I was driving. I was like, wow, this car's really nice. Didn't notice anything different when I was in his car. When I got back into my car, I'm like, I feel like I can't brake anymore. I don't feel like my brakes are working, but they nothing had changed. I mean, we're talking, we're talking over the course of two days. I ignored it, Trish. About two months later, not even two months. I know you're like, shame on you. Don't ignore that. It was a, it was not even a weak single a signal. It might've been a stronger signal. One day I was stopping and we had just had a bunch of snow and I heard a weird noise. I was, and I ignored it for a day. <laughs> Another big signal. <laughs> I ignored it. I thought, oh, maybe it's because of the rut. It had just snowed and a lot of water, you know, I, I was grinding I, my, my tires, I was grinding. My brakes were, were down to like, basically down to the metal. And I took it in and they were like, yeah, yeah. And it's funny, Trish, I didn't, it, it just slowly crept up on me and my car handles so well and it breaks so well that I didn't notice until there was a little shift of perspective. Mm. But it could have been absolutely. absolutely catastrophic had I continued yeah. to ignore the signals that were coming my way every day. <laughs> Yeah. And that platypus just kept popping up for you. Yeah. 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 True. You kept having yeah. partial sightings pop up all the time. Yeah. And, you know, they were dismissed as, 
oh, it was just, you know, I was used to my husband's car or, yeah. oh, that was a strange sound. Oh, that doesn't matter. I've got other things to do. And we get on with life and we get so caught up in getting busy in our life that sometimes we actually need to take that moment to just say, and that wasn't quite normal. What else is going on right now so that we can then see if there's a bigger picture to track down here? Yeah. And, and I think Mark, right, Trish, and I think Mark, you're heading down the right path because I, I see what you're doing. I know what you're doing because I want to hear yours now. You're setting up these great stories where we could tell the story first because then she can go back in and reverse engineer this, right? She can basically Absolutely. go back in and say, okay, well, this is, here's why it was a black swan, but it's not really a black swan. That's a fallacy. And then, you know, kind of reverse every, and then tell everything. And I think starting with that good story and we have them all. That's why you keep asking about that, Mark. Go ahead, Mark. What's yours? All right. I love so I was on my way to a wedding. I rented a car. I pull up to the gas station. By the way, I had never driven before, really. Um, I really had any experience. I pull up to the gas station and I start pumping the gas into the car. I get into the car and I notice that it still says it's on empty. So I think, well, clearly there's something wrong with, with, with the needle because I just put all of this gas in the car. And then I drive. The wedding was in Jersey. Trish, I live in New York. I was driving two of my friends. The wedding's over. We're driving back on the New Jersey Turnpike when the car starts slowing down on the highway. And we had to get out and push the car for over a mile. Um, by the way, it turns out that I, I think I never flipped the switch. So the, there was no gas that was actually coming out of the holes into the car. <laughs> I was like, where were you putting this gas, Mark? I was wondering. I was like, if you go back to the gas station, you were literally like, it was like, it was coming out of the nozzle and ending up on the ground. <laughs> it never came out, but I missed the platypus. It, it, the needle never moved. That was my, that was my signal. I completely missed it and ruined this whole night. Um, you're right. You're right, Kathy. I was thinking of the personal story because yeah. mm -hmm. the swan is an amazing story. The story of the platypus, I already can't wait to retell that. Yeah. But this story, Trish, of you being a young engineer and all of a sudden you miss something and it's this flammable spill, that caught my attention. And I'll tell you what else caught my attention because it's probably already in your fabric of language to, to refer to platypus. That you, as you were telling the story, you said something to effect like, I missed the platypus. Now, if I was sitting in your audience for the first time, you said that, I'd be like, uh, wait, <laughs> what? <laughs> I love the sound effect. <laughs> but then it becomes, it's almost like yeah. you tease something and now you can even go back and explain that and the whole concept. And it makes everything as it already is so incredibly unique. You know, you know, it's super powerful by the question that you asked, Mark. And, uh, you know, Trish, I, I can also see you asking this same question that Mark asked you to any of your audiences. 
is like to think about that moment. Like what is something that you ignored and then think about, like, I love, cause when you went down the acronym of the platypus and, and you know, I, you, we keep coming back up to these signals and signal seems to be one of the ones. Cause it's kind of one of the, it's kind of one of the flashing red signs. That's like, Hey, I'm a, I'm a duck over here. Oh wait, no, I'm not. I'm, you know, it, you're, you have these little sightings and stuff. I love that. It would be really interesting. If you, I feel like it'd be really powerful for any audience that you were talking to, for them to think about their own and then, and then to ask them that follow-up question. Let me just ask you a question. Like, what is something that you feel like you missed and then start to like break down some of the things too. Like what were some of the signs? Ask the specific questions. Also, like, let's think about it. What were some of the signs that were there? And then, you know, go down your list of, of questions. I just think it would be super powerful. But I do love, I do love thinking about how you would start this with your own story. And that one seemed really powerful to me. Um, but starting with the story so that you could explain it instead of having to explain it in an educational way at the beginning. Um, that would be fun to do it after the near catastrophic, <laughs> you know, story. So I kind of like that. Yeah, no, I, I love, I love that idea. And, you know, that certainly got me thinking about it a very different way, because as I said, I do love the idea of, of storytelling as a way to communicate. And, and I do use that a lot. So it hadn't occurred to me to start the story, to start the presentation on the platypus philosophy with a story of where I missed the platypus. So I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Good, good, good job, Mark. That was a, that was a really, that was a really good catch. And it's such a simple thing, right? Um, Mark and I, when we teach on storytelling, there's a, you know, we teach one of the concepts that we teach is like an IU balance. And sometimes when people tell stories, all they think about is like what they, what they experience and what they went through. And so they'll just tell the story. They're basically being a news reporter and they're retelling the story. They're not really reliving it. They're just kind of retelling like this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. At the end of the day, all of that information is all about what happened to the storyteller or the speaker. But I think when you can be in your best space, when you're telling a story is when you can get your audience into it somehow, even if it's in the middle of your story and you kind of pop out of it for a second and you ask the audience a question, <laughs> you can ask them a question maybe about their own experience or you ask them, do you know what's going to happen next? Or, you know, something where it kind of, it kind of brings them um, to life and in, into the story. I also think I also think, you know, um, I don't know if you know this or not, Trish, but you know how one of the most powerful things that you can do in a story is bring senses, bring our senses into the story. It, it connects people to it immediately. And so if we can bring some kind of visual, of course, and I think people go to visual first because that's what they think storytelling is. But truth be told, pound for pound, the most effective sense that you can tap into. Do you know what it is, Mark? Do you guys know what it is? Is it smell? I don't know. I was going to say, it's smell. is it smell? Trish is right. Yeah, Trish is right. It's smell. It's it's the most powerful. It, may, it makes the biggest connection more than the auditory, more than the visual is tapping into the smell. And so maybe just knowing that, like with your story, Trish, like I would try to put into that story something where you could smell, you know, into this story yeah. where the flammable, I'm, I'm guessing that these liquids were not, um, I'm, I'm guessing they did have a scent to them and they weren't like some gases that don't. Am I, am yeah, I no, it was, um, it was aviation fuel. So kerosene. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's quite a noticeable yeah. smell associated with it. And and in fact, the, the rest of the story goes on that I was the only person hurt in the incident because whilst I was managing it all, I was standing in sandy area that had the 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 uh, kerosene in it. And oh. it soaked yeah. through the elastic sides of my boots and I had chemical burns on my feet because of uh, standing in this chemical for so long. So, um, you know, it, it was, and it was interesting. I then walked into a building at the airport and they said to me, has there been a, a fuel leak? Is there a fuel leak out there at the moment? It's like, no, actually you're smelling me. I smell of fuel right now. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, I, I totally get, get that idea of the smell with it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and even, you know, when I, I talk about platypuses as well, you know, the smell of the native bush in the wild and being out there where you're trying to find the platypuses as well, I think could be quite powerful too. Yeah. And you know, the power, the, the most powerful thing too, is to talk about a smell that everybody can immediately, when you said kerosene or you're saying aviation fuel, everybody, boom, done. Everybody knows what that smells like. And so that's a smell that we yeah. can I quickly identify. Ooh, so more layers to this story. Oh, I, the more I'm hearing, Trish, the more I'm like, 100% you need to start with that story. <laughs> I mean, and it, it, it also really, I, I love this a lot when I'm coaching people to give a Ted talk is, is sometimes there'll be somebody that will talk about an idea and, you know, the audience is thinking to themselves, that's a really good idea, but they also have to ask that question. But why are you the best person to be talking about this idea? Like there's always that expertise thing in it too. And that immediately puts you as the expert of why you're talking about the platypus principles, because of something you dealt a story that you dealt with in your, you know, in your school years, that don't you think, don't you agree, Mark? In that, in that case of like, that's the, that's her expertise right there. I mean, beyond, yes. of course, all I, I, I'm not dismissing all of your expertise. I'm sorry, Trish. I don't mean it that way, but as far as the story goes though, I mean, of like, you know, of learning from the story, not, not all of your, not all the work that you do on a conservation <laughs> there's a ton Kathy, of expertise you know i there. always say i always say i love the way you think and i also love that you just shared this nugget about the senses that you know or, or the sense itself that resonates because trish i gotta tell you the ending of that story about walking in the airport and saying, I, I smell a fuel. And the fact that other people, like that part of the story as, a, as an ending just drew me in even more because yeah. I think it just highlights not just, just that I missed something, not just that something big happened here that maybe on a, you know, a layman's terms, I can't get. But then you talk about walking into the airport, like many people have walked into the airport. Yep. And now I'm just, I, I, I see it, I smell it, I feel it even more. So I, the, what I love about Kathy's question there at the end and this whole revelation about the senses is it just built and strengthened the story even more and adds that, I don't even want to say credibility. I think it's that that ethos part of it, that reputation that Trish is the one to talk about this. And I think the other part that, that really resonates with me is then it starts to really dig into what can go 
terribly bad mm. if you don't notice something. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. what gets people to want to listen to you even more. It's the pain and the anguish that we can actually go through. Because I would not want to imagine that I was standing in fuel. I, I would not want to imagine that. That, mm-hmm. that heightens my concern. And now I want to listen to you more. That's awesome. All right, Trisha, I'm going to throw one more question at you because I think this could be a good engagement with the audience and a good way to, to speak on this. What about, you know, these keep coming up, the signs and identifying what if what if you had a way in that moment to like now I'm picturing the middle of this talk that you're doing somewhere right and you're talking to an audience and now we understand the fallacy of the black swan and we understand the platypus and all the things that she said and we we heard her story so we have a visceral reaction to like what could go wrong um and we can't help you know psychology says we can't help but to put ourselves in a situation like that so what how could you ask the audience? Like what it would be, I feel like it'd be really good to ask the audience. What are some things right now? What are some little signs that are, (laughs) what are the weak signals that are being thrown at you right, right now? I wonder if somebody would think about their car. Would I go, you know what? I keep ignoring this weird noise in my car. Maybe it's a signal because Mark, what you're saying is good, but I don't want to wait again. Like Trish's whole thing is we don't want to wait until something becomes disastrous. So her, the, I think the most powerful thing that you're teaching, especially in that moment to a bunch of, a whole bunch of people would be to make them think about the thing that might be right in front of their face at the moment. Yeah. And to really have them delve into, you know, where is the platypus here and what do I need to do to find it so I can manage it properly. And, and I think that's where, for me, if I can get people to a, a point in their their work or their life or whatever, where when something unusual happens, their first thought is, where's the platypus? Hmm. Then that's a great place to have got to yeah. because at that point in time, they're open to looking. Until they actually wonder where the platypus is, they're not open to looking yet, to understanding and to delving in further. And if we don't create that willingness in our minds to see something, we definitely won't see it. And Trisha, okay, so one more thing. I love, I love, because, you know, I think Mark and I are both suckers for a good acronym. Love the acronym. I was, I was a little nervous when you were spelling it. I was like, am I spelling it right? And then as you said the things, I was like, okay, you know, I got it. I went down the list. But I, I so I, I love that as kind of the big version. But I also wonder, do you have a short version? Meaning, like, do you have a, Ask yourself these three questions or these two questions to know if there's a platypus looming so that, you know, because the other one, I think your acronym really talks about how to deal with the whole situation. But if they could, if they're just looking for the signals or they're just looking to identify the, the platypus, what are those, what would those questions be? Yeah, so I think is one, is is there a platypus here? Where is the platypus? Um, when when's it when's the platypus appearing and what do I need to do about that? I think is another key one as well of, you know, why is this happening now? What's particular about now that's causing this? Uh, and then, you know, how do I manage this platypus? Assuming I've got one, how do I manage it? Okay. Yeah, because I feel like I feel like with those questions, if if like your whole idea of the platypus gets people, like if there's an like there's like a gotta be kind of some kind of entry door that they can get into. And then, you know, you have your whole process and everything, but 
I feel like there has to be this really quick, simple, and I like and I like that. You know what I love about this idea? So well, we always say hindsight, where what is it? Hindsight is hindsight 2020. Is 2020, yeah. Right. Yeah. And and you're talking about having the hindsight way before we get <laughs> foresight is better than 2020. Yeah. <laughs> yep, it is. Yes. Oh, I love that, Mark. That's a good, I really love that. That could be, that's a, I, I love it so much. It could be a, it could be a good line for you, Trish. You could mm -hmm. come up with a line around that. If hindsight's 2020 foresight is, you know, whatever the best, whatever perfect vision would be, you know, like it's even better than 2020. I, I do mm -hmm. really, I, I really like that. You know, I, I want to, I really want to touch on one more thing that I know that you've been thinking about because um, you're, you're very international in your travels and what you do and your work. I'm just like, I think it's fun. And I think, I, I think I'm already going to know the answer, but a lot of us Americans and maybe people in other parts of the world really aren't even familiar with the platypus. So I know you're going to educate people on it. And, and, and really in the, in the little bit of description that you told us at the beginning, and I had already known what a platypus was, it was very fun. And it was very interesting. I wonder if you could use that to your advantage though, somehow is like trying to see, like maybe even trying to find out how many people in the audience know, like, I think it would be a good engagement point. Like how many people know what a platypus is? And then maybe, and then maybe like ask some trivia about it. Cause you said some things that I definitely didn't know. Maybe a good Australian mm -hmm. would know all of those things. I don't know, but it might be kind of fun to mess around with that. Just knowing that it's not a common, it's not common to everybody, I guess. I, yeah, would build I think that's on a that. really important part. So Mark, go on. No, I, I, I'm just going to say, and I want to hear from you, Trish. I would build on that and also try to figure out what the metaphor is for those different things. Like in our lives, what's the metaphor for mistaking the the, the bill for it being a duck? Like what, mm -hmm. what are those metaphors? But go ahead, Trish. I want to hear what you had to say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, that's, that's a really interesting angle on it, that metaphor thing. So yeah, recognizing that the platypus is a very unique uh, Australian animal that a lot of people in the world have never heard of them. Um, but I think that's also what makes this so special an idea because there is that opportunity for these, these useless factoids about, you know, how the male platypus can sting you with its toxin versus, you know, the the bill or something. It, it, there's a whole lot of different parts of it that are just so strange that they become really interesting for people. Mm. I love that metaphor idea, though. I think there's some more work I need to do around understanding that, around, you know, that some more everyday examples, because I do have, I have some technical engineering examples that when I talk to a technical audience that I can talk about what they are and about, you know, each of the stages of the platypus philosophy of what, it, what that looks like for the platypus and what it looks like in the facility, the plant that you work in. But I think some of those everyday ones are really important because I do love the idea of using everyday analogies for people so that the, the field I work in, it's a highly technical and complex field, but we need to be able to communicate it to people because we need the general public to understand some of these things as well. And we need to be able to communicate it in a way that they can understand it and, and embrace what they need to do with it. So I, I love that idea of, of coming up with some more analogies around, you know, what does it actually mean in everyday life? Hmm. Yeah, I love that, Mark. It's a really good idea. 
Well, I got to tell you, and, and I don't know about you, Kathy, but Trish, you just said something that I've been thinking about for a while. You have the technical background, the technical language, the technical audience. But we were talking about cars before. Mm-hmm. And then I, I wrote down health. And I wrote down relationships. And you talked about work. I mean, we talk about the metaphor. And we're talking about you, Trish, taking this platypus principle and not only speaking in the area of mechanical engineering. I mean, there's a whole world. This is so universal that all of a sudden they're pulling you out of your technical world and they're saying, <laughs> listen, can you speak yeah. to the couples? Because right. if my daughter brings <laughs> home another fool. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, you know, I've been married for a while. I think I see a lot of platypuses swimming around. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I I think that's really right, Mark. I think the the more I think about this idea and and talk with people about it, the more I realise that it actually does have some quite universal application because, you know, these little weak signals happen in our everyday life And sometimes they turn into an incident that either hurts us or hurts someone else around us. And we need to still try and stop that as well. It's not only about the workplace. That's where the idea started. But I think there is something more broad here. I think there is, I think the framework can actually apply across everyday living in a whole lot of stuff. And, you know, if if people can, can start to, you know, embrace the platypus philosophy as a way to deal with all of these things that happen to them every day, then I think we're going to end up in a much safer, better world. Yeah. 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 I love that. I love that we took it really, I love that we took and opened that up a lot more too. Cause Trish, when I think, I mean, I could definitely see you giving a Ted talk on this and, you know, in on the Ted stage, it's kind of a unique place because on the Ted stage, of course, everything that's there, it's like, you know, many times in our areas of expertise, people are like, talk to your audience. And, and, you know, for the Ted stage, it's like, who's the audience? the whole world, like, (laughs) you know, could be a teenager in one country and a, you know, you know, a 90 year old in another country and everybody in between. And so it it really is taking it to this level that Mark's talking about that. That's like, oh, well, you know, engineers love to be very engineery, right. And they love to talk technical and, and love to be, love to be in that space together. And so you're like, okay, I can hang with that. But I mean, I think you'll catch more people in general if you can talk about it in some of these analogy ways. So I love that a lot. I, that was that's a really great it's a really great idea, Mark, because she can just sit like you can just sit and start writing analogies to everything and have fun with it, and then you'll have mm. material for life. Like you can talk about this yeah. in any venue to any audience, right? I love it. Um, okay, so. One other thing I wanted to chat, well, we'll play another game because Mark, you kind of initiated a game that we really didn't call a game, but we kind of initiated like, what's the big thing we missed? And we all talked about it. And Trish, uh, it turns out that your story is like the best. Uh, we, We kind of know in general, what I'm hearing, Trish, is that you want people to pay attention to, you know, look for the platypuses. In, their, in, in your life and in, in your area of expertise or your field or work, whatever, however, you're, wherever you're delivering this, what's really, 
what, what's a strong call to action we can do in that space? How could, what, what could we do a little bit stronger? Like that's the expected, I, I feel like that's the expected thing that somebody would say. How can we come up with something unexpected? Wow, that's a really good question. You don't often get me stumped for words. Uh, <laughs> I, I, right, Mark and I aren't usually stumped for words either. And I did say something I feel like would be stumped something for us all. And so I'll start. I don't, I, not that I have an answer. I just want to brainstorm on it for a minute because I feel, again, I feel like it'll be the, I, I, if I heard you start to tell this talk, I feel like at the end, that's how you would wrap up. But I, I would love, I would love for you to, I would love for you to do something stronger and something that would really make me leave and, and think about it in a different way. I mean, yeah. One of my one of my ideas was kind of what I was saying about the middle stuff is to really get somebody in a in a space because um, maybe you have a couple questions where you can really get somebody in a mind frame of of something that might be within their realm or their world right now whether it's work or home or life or friends or family whatever it doesn't matter um, they could be thinking about it um, and maybe at the end it could be some kind of visualization of what what would happen, what could be the disastrous outcome if you don't take care of the platypus now? Like what, like maybe it could be that Mark, you, cause you kind of alluded to that before. I don't know. That's one thought. Mark or Trish, do you have an idea? I, I wonder if it's something around, you no. Know, so right now today, what is your platypus? What do you need to worry about right now? And what do you, what platypus do you need to manage? Cause there will be a platypus in everybody's life. Mm-hmm. What's yours and what do you need to do to manage it rather than just sort of, you know, we need to look out for the weak signals, we need to make sure we see them. It's like you've got a platypus right now. Where is it and what are you going to do with it? How do you like wrangle that. that platypus? I really like that. That's strong because that's basically saying, I promise you there's one out there. You just don't see it right now. Ooh, I like yeah. that. Yeah, I, love, I love the urgency of that. I do too. I like that. Right? I really love that. And and you've said that quite often that it's in our everyday lives. So people kind of walk around, I hate to say blindly, but maybe not noticing these things may just think like, yeah, there's no platypus in my life. I live in New York. There's no platypus in my life. You live in New York. There's tons of platypuses. <laughs> what do you? What did you say, Mark, the other day? You're always one stop away from crazy, right? So it's like oh, yeah. you know, on, the, on the subway to ride, right? And so you're there's, there's always there. yeah. There's a lot of platypuses in New York. Oh, there's a whole lot of platypuses on New York City subway. <laughs> you just might not have known it before this call today, <laughs> yes. right? right. Um, I got to tell you what 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 comes to my mind um, as we play this game is the struggle with noticing the weak signals, the, the struggle with noticing the platypus. Well, by the way, is, is it platypi? Would that be the, the, yeah. the plural? Okay, so technically either platypuses or platypi is acceptable. Oh, okay. um, and the collective noun is a paddle. A paddle. A paddle. A paddle of platypuses, like, you know, rowing a boat with a paddle. A paddle of platypuses is its collective noun. Thank you for that education. We are learning so many things today. We are. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So here's what I was wondering. 
it's so difficult. Like we struggle. You went over earlier, but from from the confirm, uh, confirmation bias, you, you gave us all of the biases that we struggle with. And you said that like on an everyday basis, these things happen and we don't notice them. So what if a call to action was also some type of, I don't know if it's a daily exercise, a, like building the habit. How do I build the habit to notice these platos? Because I can notice this one big thing, but how do I eventually build a, a culture and, and a lifestyle of being able to notice these things? Mm, again, that's a really good question. And there's, there's some parts of it that from a work perspective, you know, I've been doing for a long time. It's around, you know, every day you check what sort of alarms you've had happen in your plant and you understand, well, that's a bit different today. There's something else going on. Translating that into the everyday life, it is, you know, what's What's a little bit different every day? What's that? If we if we get into the habit of every day just sitting down and taking a moment to reflect and say, what have I seen today that's a bit different and forcing that thinking about something that's a bit different, that could certainly get you into a habit of starting to notice because if we if we take the chance to force ourselves to notice something to start with, over time we should start to develop that habit of starting to see it. So one of the things that happens, so I travel a lot, and it's really interesting. One of the, the interesting parts that I've noticed is, you know, I wear a fitness tracker. A lot of people do. When I travel, my resting heart rate increases and it increases by about 10 beats a minute. Mm. And you can actually plot by my resting heart rate, whether I'm at home or whether I'm somewhere else in the world. Mm. And it's actually related to when I travel, I'm hyper alert of what's going on around me. You know, there's lots of threats in our world every day. I'm not scared and sit in my hotel room, but I'm aware of what's going on around me. I become far more aware. I notice the people in my vicinity. I notice that unusual behavior over there. Oh, I'm not quite liking, you know, I'm feeling a bit uncomfortable in this situation. So I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to move and do something different. And so it actually like it manifests physically that my heart rate increases by about 10 beats a minute. And it's and I've been tracking it now for several years and it's really quite accurate and you know almost scary that it's like this realistic for me. Uh, and and so you know I have those habits when I travel. I become far more relaxed when I'm at home, which is interesting in itself because I'm familiar and I'm comfortable and I'm probably complacent as well, potentially. So you know, the idea of being able to to translate some of my hyper-awareness when I travel into my home life is might actually be a, a good thing for finding my platypuses because it's about me, you know, just noticing that, well, I saw something unusual today. So let's take a moment each day and think about what unusual thing we saw. Reflect back on it. You might not even notice it at the time, but reflecting back, you might think, oh, actually, I saw this today, but I didn't process it at the time. I didn't realise it was subconscious mm. almost that I saw it. Wow. That's so, that's so smart. Cause that usually will happen when some kind of accident or something happened. Right. You know, Mark, that was part of your email today. Actually, it was the exercise that you had was to put a bunch of things on the table 
uh, look at them really quick, cover them up with a cloth and then try to try to remember what's there, which is being aware of what's around. Trish, now you got me, now you got me going, I'm going to go back and look at my fitness tracker. I just got off of a flight yesterday. I want to see, you know, how that pans out. Um, that's very interesting. See, I think, you know, what's really cool that, that I think you should do Trish is I, I would be sitting and collecting all these nuggets of how you can, I mean, your whole talk should just be analogies to everything. I did like that, you know, now like it should be like, oh, it's kind of like, and you can have all these little mini stories and these little mini analogies, you can have metaphors, but everything you can make, um, you know, and so that doesn't become an, you know, you, obviously Trish, you do a great job of like telling a story and, and bringing up interesting information, but I could definitely see somebody taking your same information and being way too informative and not sprinkling these things that will really make great connections. And so I love this. Mm -hmm. I think it's really well, nice. I got to tell you, Kathy always talks about having a story file. You've yeah. got an analogy file. And it starts <laughs> with fun. your everyday habit of just noticing. I love the way you said it, of noticing the unusual things. And I'll tell you, Trish, uh, first of all, I already know. I always tell everybody, I'm about to go to the kitchen table when we're done. And I'm asking everybody at the table, my kids and my wife, what was something unusual yeah. you saw today? I like right? that. Yeah. And, and, and as you start to discover all of those unusual things, they all become analogies that you can put into your analogy toolbox yeah. for every talk. And every talk you do could be the new analogy. You keep the talk fresh for yeah. yourself because you can talk about an analogy you just saw, an unusual thing you just saw yesterday. Yeah. Awesome. The, the, yeah, like the fitness tracker thing is really cool, but like anything that you're seeing definitely could put in the analogy. I love that. An analogy file, Mark, you're a geek. I love that. <laughs> You're an absolute nerd. I love you. <laughs> I love you too. And I'm only a nerd because I pay, I hang out with nerds. Like That's true. You. That is that is true. Yeah, you're right on that. <laughs> There's nothing oh, wrong with getting your geek on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. No, I love this. I love I love that Trish because I feel like everything that you said at the beginning I could understand in an intellectual way. But now I feel like everything that you're talking about hits me more in an emotional way and I feel more connected to it. And it makes me understand. I could, I can even picture Mark, you know, at his family table. He, he always talks about, you know, they have family dinners, which is awesome. And the family's sitting around and then I could see you, Mark, asking the family. So what, what are some things that were unusual? I mean, these are all great conversations or thoughts or questions that you could throw out to audiences too, that make them um, engage and their brain is trying to answer. Their brain is searching for the answers, even if they're not easy to come by. I love that. So it's one thing to like understand it as a concept. And it's another thing to like really be feeling connected to it. Trish, we have yeah. geeked out today. We have geeked out. <laughs> yeah, I have. We've geeked yeah. out with our platypus. Yes. <laughs> God, I wish I had mine. I have one around here. I have a little glass platypus somewhere. So yeah, cute. yeah, I've got a platypus. He 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 lives a little bit further in Brooklyn. I'm gonna call him up after this call. <laughs> DJ platypus. <laughs> DJ platypus. Trish, I gotta tell you, when we started this off, and you were talking about your 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 experience in mechanical engineering and process safety, I knew I was gonna learn a whole bunch of things mm -hmm. from you. I think I've learned so much more than I even expected, and. I'm definitely inspired 
um, to do a, a, a to to notice more paddles of platypus yes. oh. in my life, right? Yes. <laughs> right. But I'm curious for you, right? I know that I learned a lot, but over the course of you know the 45 minutes to an hour that we've had the discussion, what has resonated for you? What has evolved around this idea for you? There's actually been a couple of things that I'll take away from this conversation and thank you very much for it because I've just found it really enlightening for myself. One of them is around that starting with the story and creating that connection, you know, particularly that idea of the senses and, you know, bringing that that sense of smell into the storytelling of creating that personal connection before I go into more about the black swan and why we need platypuses and not black swans. And and the second part, I think for me, really was was that challenge around. So you know, what are we what are we going to do that is that really big challenge to get people to see the the platypus sightings going forward? And and I think that that those analogies and that getting people to notice those little things every day has really helped cement in my mind how I can better communicate this idea. Because, I I mean, I really believe in this idea, obviously, because I've, I've staked a lot of my professional reputation on talking about platypuses as a professional engineer, so that's a bit weird. Uh, so, you know, I, I think there's something really important in this story, and, and I think there are a couple of the big takeaways I'll take from it. Awesome, awesome. And Trish... Where do, where do people find, first of all, where do people learn about your book so we can get a copy? Um, and, and where do we learn about you? Because we're going to be following you and, and hearing TED Talks from you, and we want to learn more. So how do people find out about you and your book? Okay, so here is, uh, here is my little book, The Platypus Philosophy. Um, mm. I have to say, illustrated by my incredibly talented niece. So it actually is full of color illustrations as well. Uh, you can find my book on Amazon if you just search The Platypus Philosophy or my name, Trish Karen, it will come up. Uh, and I do have a website, leadlikekaren.com. So leadlikekaren.com. And Lead Like Karen is also my Twitter and Instagram handle. So come and check me out on social media as well. Check out Trish. Check out the Platypus Principle. Check out Lead. Oh, I love that. I love that. And check out all of the unusual things that are happening in your everyday life. Because if we can notice those things, we can prevent all of those different incidents that Trish is helping us to avoid so that we can live a safer and better life. Mm -hmm. Trish, this was an awesome conversation. And I hope that after listening to this, there's gonna be other people out there who are watching who are not only noticing the unusual things, but they're also noticing people in their lives who have ideas just like yours and they want to mm -hmm. hang out with Kathy and I to have an idea conversation. So to anybody who's watching, whether it's you or someone you know who has an idea and you want to just have a conversation about how to evolve it so you can reach more people, check out our website. It's about to go down show. Go to our YouTube channel. Check out old episodes and future episodes. And until next time, don't forget the, the paddle or the platypus. 
Don't forget that smell is the number one sense. And don't forget, lead by Karen. Follow her lead. Because if you do, then every day and every day, it'll be it'll be about to go down. Did I just say that as an English teacher? It'll be about <laughs> to go down. Did I learn to miss it? You know what I'm talking about. Because every time and every time, it's about to go down. <laughs>